Well, it's a wonderful psalm, isn't it? That reminds us that the, the whole purpose of missionary endeavor, of evangelism, of outreach and so on, is actually ultimately that people worship God. That's the goal. And uh, we glorify him. And so what we do here on Sunday, Sunday by Sunday, is, is a culmination of that evangelistic missionary outreach. That people are gathered into his presence, that worship God. So this is the, I don't know how you view this, but this is the peak of Christian experience on this earth. And uh, you should look at, on it that way. And that's why you should come back in Sunday evenings. <laughs> you know, because you need more of it. And you need to experience more of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's uh, turn now to, uh, to Matthew chapter 22. And um, we're continuing our studies in the book of Matthew. Uh, next week we'll do something different. We may well jump ahead to the, uh, to the, uh, the crucifixion and the resurrection uh, because it's Easter Sunday. But uh, for the moment we're in chapter 22. So Matthew 22. And uh, a parable that may uh, uh, seem familiar to us. Um, if you know anything about your Bible. So let's let's, uh, hear what Jesus says. Matthew 22, verse 1. And Jesus, again Jesus, spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, tell tell those who are invited, See, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything's ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops And destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called but few are chosen. Let's pray together. Lord, we come into your presence to ask you to open up your word to us, that you may speak to us, uh, speak into our souls, into our hearts, and receive all that you would say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're working through uh, this story of Jesus that has been recorded for us by Matthew. And Matthew, of course, is one of the disciples of Jesus. And this morning we're in this section where uh, Jesus is in Jerusalem. And he's there for the last time. He's he's entered in for the last time in chapter 21. And uh, it's the last week of his life. 
by the end of the week he's going to be dead. And uh, over the last couple of times we've been looking at the discussion that Jesus has been having with uh, chief priests and elders and Pharisees, you know, the religious great and good. Uh, And there may be other crowds around him, but he's primarily speaking to those religious people uh, who are gathered around him, and they're asking him questions. And one of the questions they asked back in chapter 21, now you may remember that he... um, Jesus, when, when he went to the temple, when he came to Jerusalem, he, he saw that it was something of a marketplace. It, was, it didn't seem to be a place of prayer any longer. Uh, people were buying and selling and, you know, with all kinds of religious reasons for it. But they're basically buying and selling and making profit. And Jesus goes in and he upends all the tables and he drives all the animals out um, because it's no longer a, a place of prayer as it should be. Uh, so... The chief priests and the Pharisees and the elders and the Pharisees they come to Jesus and say, "By what authority?" So this is Matthew twenty-one, twenty-three. By what authority do you do these things? So uh, the question on their minds is, "What authority does Jesus have?" And that's a question for all of us. What authority does Jesus have over my life? And so Jesus answers that. It's a a good question. It's a relevant question. Why should anybody pay attention to Jesus? So Jesus answers that uh, by giving a series of parables. And we've had two of them already. We've had the parable of the two sons in 21 verse 28 to uh, to 32. Uh, And the last time we looked at the parable of the tenants a couple of weeks ago uh, in 21 Uh, Verses 33 to 46. And the point of those two parables was to show how it is that religious people can reject the authority of God. They can be religious, but actually in their heart of hearts, they are rejecting the the authority of God. In the parable of the two sons, for example, uh, the first son says, Yes, I'll do whatever you say, Father. But then doesn't do it. That's kind of like religious people will profess faith in Jesus Christ, but will not actually live according to the will of God. Or the parable of the tenants, we can reject God's rightful expectation of a gracious harvest because of his his blessing to us. And instead, we can reject his prophets, we can reject his son. And just take what we can get for ourselves. That's religious people. You see what Jesus is getting at in those two parables. But now he comes to the third and final parable of this little short sequence. And we'll leave the parables for a while, and we'll come back to them later. But um, in this parable, in Matthew 22... He is talking explicitly about how the kingdom of heaven works. So he explicitly mentions how this parable is like the kingdom of heaven. So this is about how you get into the kingdom of heaven. And it's done so through the story of a wedding feast. The parable is about a wedding feast. 
given by a king for his son. Perhaps the, the son who is going to inherit everything from the king. So you could not, in, a, in that society, you could not get a higher uh, human figure than the king and the son who is going to inherit after the king. And so he sets about uh, organizing this feast for his son. And when the time comes, all the people that have been invited are then called to come. The feast is ready. Now it's ready. Come and share in the feast. And various people make their excuses. And they don't come. They've got other things to deal with. And they're actually quite rude about it. Some are... Uh, Some of the servants are abused. Some are even killed in the parable. And in the end, those privileged people who got the invitation originally are punished and excluded. And instead, the invitation goes out to everyone else. And it's to the good and the bad. It's really interesting. (laughs) Uh, The good and the bad. We'll say more about that in a moment. And so in the end, the, the wedding feast is is full of people, you know, as, as the king intended. A great celebration for his son, but not with the people that originally were asked. And then there's a twist at the end of the, the parable. Because somebody has come into the, the wedding feast, but they're not wearing the right clothes. And he's asked, why, why are you not wearing wedding clothes? And he's speechless. And so the king chucks him out. Uh, and there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and so on. So that's the parable. And of course, in the first instance, Jesus is speaking to the Jewish leadership, the religious leadership of the day. Because he's talking about their response to him. To the gracious invitation that Jesus is giving to the world, the great and the good, the good and the bad. And people are reject the, the religious leadership are rejecting him. So in the first instance, it's to the Jews. But it's, it actually speaks to every generation. To every group of people. About the way that people come into the kingdom of God. About how, and about how people can miss out from the, the gracious kingdom that God offers. Even people who might be expected to get there by default because they're religious. They might miss out from the blessing of this wedding feast. So what are the lessons of the parable? I've got, I can't remember how many I've got. I've got three or four things. Three or four things. First of all, to say that the kingdom of God is like a big banquet. It's like a great banquet. I don't know if you noticed last week in the news, uh, King Charles was, uh, III was, was in Germany uh, doing stuff for the United Kingdom, you know, forming good relationships with Europe again <laughs> after some, a torrid few years. But, uh, you know, he's doing a great work, isn't he? he uh, he's, he's schmoozing with the German uh, president and all the, the great and the good in Germany. And he got invited to a, a state banquet and it's a great occasion, isn't it? You know, wonderful food, lots of important people. And uh, Prince Charles stands up and, and gives, a t- gives a speech, uh, speaking about the wonderful relationship we have with the Germans. And, 
And so it goes on. Uh, and, but you see, that, that great as that was last week, that is nothing compared to the great banquet of heaven. The banquet of the son, of the wedding feast of the son of God. And the reason that the kingdom of God is presented to us as a great banquet is because only the kingdom of God and all that is supplied in the kingdom of God can satisfy the longing and the thirsting and the hungering of the human soul. That in the kingdom of God you find everything that you could possibly need and want. And it comes from God. Now this is, this is not a new idea. Jesus is not introducing a new idea here. God in the Old Testament sometimes called people to himself by using this kind of terminology of receiving food and wine from him. Come and receive. Uh, that's why we read Isaiah 55 verse 1. Old Testament prophet. And conveys this word from God and God says, Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Just come and receive all the things that I have for you. And God knows how we're made. We're made as dependent creatures. Have you ever thought about that? You're not independent. Much as you like to think you're independent, you're dependent on everything around you. Air you breathe, food that you eat, water that you drink, a house to live in. You depend on all of these things. You're a dependent creature. But more than that, you depend. God has set eternity in your heart. There is a longing in your heart for eternity. You may not recognize it, but there is something that drives you. Something that pushes you on for something better, whatever it is. I just want something better than what I've got just now. And I wish it was more than what I've got just now. You'd be saying that to yourself for years, perhaps. And that's because the way that God has made you, He has put eternity in your hearts. Ecclesiastes 3.11, if you want a verse for that. And you're driven by that desire. But you, you may not be able to know what it is. But you're driven by something. And the problem for us is, of course, that, that sin, our sins have corrupted everything. And so that desire that's been put into our hearts for eternity has been corrupted so that it wants all kinds of other things instead of eternity. Uh, those of you who've had children... You know what it's like when you're trying to feed your child a, a healthy diet <laughs> and when your child grows old enough and discovers chocolate or something and your child only wants chocolate or crisps or, and you say to your child, no, I don't want these things. And you as a parent, you say, yeah, but you're having, you're having proper food. And we're kind of like the children that want the chocolate and the crisps in life. And God says, I've got this rich fare for you. And that's what you want, really. That's what you really need. It's what you should have. 
And God asks that question. He goes on in Isaiah 55. He says, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. See, so that's Isaiah 700 odd years ago before Christ. And Jesus takes that idea in this parable and tells the parable of this wonderful wedding feast. And the offer to come and share in this wedding feast with the Son of God in the presence of the King. That's what we do as a church. That's what we're in the business of. When we're not worshipping God, we're calling people to say, come and share in this kingdom fair. Come and taste of it now. Yes, we've still to wait to see it fully consummated in all its fullness in glory to come. But for now, we can begin to taste of it here in fellowship with one another and as we gather in worship and we feed on God's word. Begin to taste of it. And we say to people who have not yet uh, accepted the invitation, you're living your life with all its problems, with all its evils, and many of those evils are actually from within you. But you have a hunger for something that's infinitely greater. You may not know what you're looking for. There's a song, isn't there? I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You too or something. And it expresses a desire of the heart, I think. And you say to yourself, I'm looking for something, but I don't know what it is, but there's got to be something more. And here it is. The kingdom of heaven. This is what you're looking for. This is the the heaven that is established by the one true God of heaven preparing this great feast in the kingdom of heaven for his son. And he wants people to come and share with him in it. Do you want to come? I hope you do. Well, here's the second thing about this parable. The people who you might expect to accept the invitation are the people who don't. Is that a complicated title? The people who you might expect to accept the invitation are the people who don't. And this is expressed through people who pay no attention. Look at, if you look at verse 5, uh, the reaction is spelled out for us. They paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. Now, evidently, the, the banquet has two phases. The invitation to the banquet has two phases. There's an initial invitation, so you get it in the post, you know, and you say, okay, I'll, I'll mark the date. And then the second part is the call, because it's ready. And maybe things are a bit more flexible in the first century. And uh, you come when, you're re- when it's ready. And so you come, and you receive the call. And the servants are sent out uh, to issue the call. Now what we should understand here, of course, is in the first instance, Jesus is thinking about the privileged position of the religious leaders at the time. Um, They have had that initial invitation. They have heard Isaiah speak about, come to me all you, uh, come to everyone who thirsts, uh, come to the waters and have life. They have heard all this. They've, They've seen the invitation from God. And Jesus now comes... 
at the end of a long line of prophets saying, now come, come to the banquet. The announcement is being made. Everything's ready, come and eat. But you see what happens in the parable. First of all, they don't come in verse 3. And then after a second attempt to call them, where it's specified what joy awaits them, everything's ready, the animals are being killed and so on. Uh, they don't come. It's met with indifference. So verse 5. But they paid no attention, and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. They seem more taken up with the concerns of this life, a farm, a business, whatever. Uh, you know, which are legitimate concerns, of course. But, but when the king asks you to do something, uh, you, you kind of put those to one side, don't you? <laughs> when you're the most important pers- person that you can think of says, come, you probably ought to put all these things aside. And come... Well, of course, this is an indication of the response that Jesus is experiencing with these these religious leaders. And people still respond in that way today. And what's shocking here is that Jesus is pointing out how this is the response of religious people. They have had the privilege of the past, of the invitation of the past. They have the scriptures that speak of the kingdom that's coming and the king that will bring it. And yet when face to face with the king, they won't come. They won't come. They're indifferent. Now friends, uh, religious people can be like that. It may shock you, but actually religious people can be like that. Why? Because religious people are full of their own righteousness. And when you are full of your own righteousness, you have a sense of entitlement. I've been good enough. And so I actually deserve to get to be welcomed in and the red carpet rolled out for me. You know, you can you can have that standing in a religious community. And the Pharisees were great at this. They had a standing in the religious community. They, they did their public acts of prayer. If you look back to Matthew chapter 6. You know, they, they prayed in public with fine voices and, and long rambling prayers that impressed everybody. And then when the, feast, when the fasting came about, they, they put on the sackcloth and they put on the ashes. And they, they made sure everybody knew that they were suffering, you know. And what a godly man that must be. What a holy man that must be. And they love all the attention. And they love all the greetings in the marketplace. And, and all the sorts of things. And the giving of the alms. You know, the giving of, of help to the poor. And you know, ostentatiously handing over their notes. They love it. That's re- you know, religious people can be like that. I'm ostentatiously going to church today. I'm ostentatiously praying. I'm ostentatiously doing this. I'm doing it as a performance for other people. But in your heart of hearts, you're self-righteous. And you have a sense of entitlement. And actually, in your heart of hearts, you, you reject God. Because you've got it all sorted. You're not that interested in Jesus. You're not that interested in God. But you kind of like the religious life. 
wonder if that describes anyone here this morning. I hope not, but you know, it may be. Maybe somebody you know. Maybe you're content with your moral and religious performance. Maybe you're happy with your religious and moral friends. But in your heart of hearts, you make excuses to Jesus. And you're not actually following him. A religious person does that and will not follow Jesus. It's a shocker, isn't it? But that's the tragedy of false religion. So the people who might expect to get into the kingdom of heaven and the banquets are the people who don't get in and, don't, and won't come. Here's the third thing. That the privilege that is offered to religious people is taken away from them and given to everyone else. Notice the emphasis here that the offer is made not to the elites and the powerful and the great and the good of the cities. But the servants are now sent out to the roads, to the ordinary places, to whoever can be found. And notice it is to both the good and the bad. What a strange thing. What a strange thing to a self-righteous person. How can a, a bad person get into heaven? You know, religious people have a problem with bad people getting into heaven. Because of that sense of personal entitlement. How can they, they deserve it and I don't deserve it? But it's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus is pointing up that the invitation to the banquet isn't made on the basis of goodness, your goodness. The point is that the invitation is given universally to good and the bad. Anybody can come and enter into the the kingdom of heaven. Anybody can come and share in the banquet. And of course Jesus is here speaking about the mission of the church to take the gospel to the nations, not simply to the Jews. So beyond the Jews there's a whole Gentile world out there and they need to hear the invitation as well. But there's a strong sense of pathos about this because those who've had the privileges of religion in the past have made their excuses and have been passed over. But there is joy in seeing people receiving the gospel of their eyes being opened to the great truth of the gospel and to receive the invitation in their hands, as it were, and to say, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to join with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's not an easy task for the church to do that, to go out into the world and preach the gospel. But it, uh, but it does it, and, there's, and it's, you know, it's hard work to convince people and persuade people to accept the gospel invitation. Uh, because all, the, all of these people are, are sinners, and, they're, they're, and their automatic reaction is, well, why should I care? Or how can it possibly be true for me? I'm a nobody. A number of people I've met on doorsteps who say, well, I'm not a religious person. I think, well, great. <laughs> I don't want religious people in my church. I want, godly, I want people who want to find Jesus in our church. But it's quite hard to get that message over to people. Especially blokes. You know, the blokes open the door. You're doing, doing some door knocking and you open the door and say, I'm, from, I'm Stephen, I'm from the local church and uh, I'd like to invite you to come. And they say, well, I'm not that interested. Maybe my wife's a bit religious, you know, or my mother. And she'll come. 
And, uh, and I have to stop and say, look, yeah, it's actually for you too. <laughs> it's not for religious people. It's for all sorts. And there, but there it is. This is what we do as servants of the, of, of the king, that we go out into the world to give that universal invitation. Now we as, as Christians, as the servants of the Lord, who've been given that sense of privilege, um, uh, we've, we've got that sense of the, the heavenly food that we are sharing in. We, we've got that sense that the banquet is good. You know, if you're a Christian today, you have tasted that the Lord is good. And you have a sense of the goodness of God and, you, and the, the depth of one, and wonder of the heavenly fare that is yours. And that should make it easier to face resistance if you know God, if you are related to God and you've tasted. So that when you set about the work of convincing and persuading people, uh, you, you have something within uh, to share with somebody. It really is good. I've tasted I know what it's like. And friends, there are many people in, in churches, and I mean the generality, who claim the name of Christ but have no idea what they're involved in. They have absolutely no idea what they're involved in. They don't think much about Jesus as the lover of their souls. They don't think much about heaven at all. They're, not, they're, they're so un heavenly minded that they're absolutely no earthly use either think about that what about you this morning if you know the Lord Jesus Christ and you love him and that the kingdom of God will be filled with the finest of fear satisfying the longing and thirsting of your soul then of course you will find it easier to help others to come and to invite them So the, the invitation goes out to the whole world. But finally, fourthly, there's, the parable closes with a warning. And, and the warning is this, be careful that you seek to come to this banquet on the right basis, for the right reasons. So at the end of the parable is this little twist where there's a man in verse 11 uh, who's at the banquet and he's not wearing the, the right wedding garment, you know, the right wedding clothes. Like any wedding, there's a, there's a dress code, isn't there? And uh, you've got to, to a certain extent you want to fit in and to a certain extent you want to kind of wow everybody else with your clothes uh, in a human wedding. But, uh, you know, in heaven there's a right garment to wear. What, is, what does Jesus mean by that? It's the first time he's mentioned it. Uh, there's been no mention of a dress code, and then suddenly it comes up just at the end there. And it seems to be required uh, in order to enjoy the banquet. Well, Jesus doesn't explain here what, what that garment is or how you get it. In a sense, he leaves that as an unanswered question for us to ponder um, at this point. To ask ourselves the question, well, what do I need to get into the kingdom of heaven? What is this requirement to get into the kingdom of heaven? What, what is it, in a sense, that makes me worthy? He speaks about being worthy in verse 8, or not worthy. What is it that makes you worthy? Well, of course, clothing is a, is a symbol of something. It's, it's not literally referring to particular kinds of clothing, but he is referring to something that covers you over. 
And I can tell you what it isn't. It is not that you come to the kingdom of heaven dressed in all your goodness. We've seen that already. Excuse me. I mean, it really isn't about how you have lived your life up to this point and how good and bad you have been in life before. It's not about how good you seem to be in the eyes of others. It really doesn't matter. That's irrelevant. But in fact, what, what the rest of the, although this parable doesn't address this, what the rest of the Bible makes clear to us is that there is, you know, is, there is nothing you can contribute to getting into the kingdom of heaven. There's no righteousness, no niceness, no, no pleasant personality. Um, no religious activity, nothing will qualify you for the kingdom of heaven. And that may come as a shock to many people. And you may be shocked this morning, and maybe you've come to here, here to this worship service, perhaps thinking you're doing your little bit to please God, and that God will make, be more impressed with your little sacrifice this morning of time and energy. But you couldn't be more wrong about that. You see... If this wedding garment cannot come from you, where does it come from? And how can we get it? And the answer must be that this wedding garment must be given to you by the the king who invites you to the kingdom. And it points out the fact that everything in the kingdom of heaven is given to you from God. It comes to you as a gift, as a free gift, but you have to receive it as a gift. And so what is necessary for you or me to enter into the kingdom of heaven is simply that I accept and receive what God offers me. And that's enough. That's all it requires. For you to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Friends, this is usually the greatest sticking point for people who, want, who are thinking about entering into the heavenly banquets. To enter into heaven. That we receive this invitation without contributing anything ourselves. You know, when you and I are asked, asked out to somebody else's house for dinner or something. You know, it's, it's good etiquette, isn't it, to bring a little gift. And uh, one, of the, one of the things that the little gift does is kind of makes you feel a bit better about receiving goodness from other people. Um, and maybe it contributes something to the meal. You might bring a, a, book, a drink to drink or, uh, or a dessert or something. And, uh, but in heaven, you've got nothing to, that God wants. God doesn't need anything from you. He doesn't want to, want to have anything from you. He wants to give you everything. And that's a sticking point for us. We find that hard. Our pride uh, rejects it. And we need to get rid of our pride. So God gives this wedding garment. So what what do you think this wedding garment is that the king provides? For that, I need to jump out of the parable and go somewhere else in scripture. And I can only just allude to it 
make a reference to it. It speaks elsewhere of something that we need to be clothed in. If you look at Romans 13, 14, and I'm not saying you look at it now, but uh, Paul says to the Christians there, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a great commandment to every Christian. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the language of getting dressed, isn't it? Put on, it's like Jesus becomes a, a garment that I wear. And you put that alongside this parable and it be, you see this amazing picture emerging. That at the wedding feast of the Son of God, where, he is the, where the Son is the center of the attention and of all the celebrations, and all the guests are dressed up. And what do they look like? They look like Jesus. <laughs> Isn't that an amazing thought? It's not just that we wear a cardboard face or something. It's we, in terms of what we become as Christians, we become more and more like Jesus. And so when we enter into heaven... We are looking like Jesus. And so everything about the the kingdom points to Jesus. Whenever you look at other people, you're thinking about Jesus. Because he's at the center of everything. And he's the garment. He's what you need to put on. You need to receive him in order for you to enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's the essential, the one essential requirement of entering into the kingdom of heaven. That you receive Jesus. It could not be more simple. There's nothing else that you can offer and give. Just receive Jesus. And so, as we finish, have you received Jesus Christ? Are you clothed in Jesus Christ? And you can have him. No matter what you've done in the past, no matter how good you've been, no matter how bad you've been, you can have Jesus if you'll just receive him and put him on and live for him. You can receive him and enter into the joy of the celebration. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful parable. And thank you for the the warnings that it gives us. It searches our hearts, and for many of us, we have been coming to church for years and years, and perhaps we have fallen into bad, unhealthy habits of self-righteousness. Lord, forgive us for all of these things. Help us to continually put on Jesus Christ. And Father, for any here who are not believers, who are not sure, oh Lord, may they have that sense that of the freedom and the glory of the kingdom of heaven that is offered to them freely. May they grasp it with both hands and everything they have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.